Hey, producer Eric here. Nate and Ben recorded this episode before all the news broke last week, but they did discuss everything over on the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. I'll leave a link to those episodes in the show notes in case you want to hear their immediate reaction to the rankings news and ABA decision. And I'm sure they'll have plenty more to say on next week's Thinking LSAT. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together with the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. This one's going to air on Monday, November 21st. You got about 10 days until you have to decide whether you want to register for the January 2023 test. The deadline for that is on December 1st. I guess the day before that, we're going to be looking at um, November score release. So you've got a day to decide, or at least the scores are going to come out on the 30th, or sometimes they come out a day or two before that. And uh, you got to decide whether to apply or sorry to uh, register for the test on December 1st. Simple calculus. If you're happy with your range of practice test scores over the past few weeks, then you can probably safely register for the test. If you're not happy with your recent range of practice test scores, then just don't register. Please come to my free shit. I do a free class uh, every other Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. On Friday, December 2nd, I'm going to be doing one called How Do I Know When I'm Ready? Go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan if you would like to do a free class with me. We also have a free class with Ben coming up on Monday, December 5th. That is a circle slash logic games bootcamp. And you can go to lsat.link forward slash Ben. What are you going to do in that circle slash bootcamp? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany told me that's what you're doing. I said, okay, so we'll go over games. We'll go over uh, a specific type of game. I guess it's not type. It's just that some games can benefit from this kind of circle slash setup. I don't even know who came up with it. Did you come up with it? I might have. Well, no, but I think the first game that I remember doing it on is the game with the switches. Okay. Seven switches, the circuit Mm -hmm. load of the panel. And I remember writing out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then circling the ones that were on and slashing the ones that were off. Okay. And I agree that it's not a type of game. Like, in fact, everybody needs to just kind of stop thinking so much about game types. Instead, it's a, tool that you can use to solve the puzzle and the tool itself is something that like honestly a third grader probably could have come up with that system you know like what switches are on um i don't know well one two three write down one two three four five six seven and then when one of them's on and i don't know i'll circle it when one of them's off i don't know i'll cross it out it's really i swear to god it's just common sense matt dumont is the one who really like started calling it circle slash and then teaching it as a technique in all of um, his awesome logic games classes. Yeah. But the origins are not, you know, arcane LSAT wizardry. The origins are like, I don't know. That's a common sense way to solve a situation like this. So anyway, I think you'll have fun in that boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. A couple of free classes coming up. So y'all go register lsat.link forward slash Nathan lsat.link forward slash Ben highlight from today's show. What do you think? 
we had a couple emails about score ranges, uh, mm. people trying to figure out what their range is, whether they should take it over again. Swagger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the, the question. There were multiple questions about like, what's my range? Here's my practice test scores. What's my range? And it's like, well, I don't know what your range is, but it does include all of those scores. Yeah. Right. Like the lowest one could be the bottom of your range. Probably not. The highest one could be the top of your range. Probably, probably not, not. Yeah. So, you know, just look at your own practice test scores and you can see what kind of a range you have. I mean, one of the te- one of the uh, correspondents did have a the last five ranged from 159 to 177. Yep. And they target, they said their range was 170 to 175, but you had three 177s. So you better include that in your range. (laughs) Yeah. Your real range is, you know, it's probably wider than you think. And that's okay. You just need to be open to that. And like, you got to accept that, hey, you're going to have some good days and some really good days. And you're going to have some bad days and some really bad days. And you're not really going to get rid of that with LSAT prep. Instead, you're just going to make forward progress along with the entire range where your your good days get a little bit better and your bad days also get a little bit better. And yep. over time, they can get a lot better, both your good days and your bad days. But you're still going to have a range. Anyway, we talked yep. a lot about that stuff. All right. You are cool. ready to go? Let's do it. We got this email from uh, Matt. You and I, I think, both got kind of a chuckle out of it. It's uh, this. Well, you want to read it? Yep. People were apparently thrown off by a, quote, new question type on the November Logic Games section that said, which one of the following could be true, but not need be true? Let me read that again. Which one of the following could be true, but need not be true? That's not super common, but it has happened before. Matt kindly did the research for us. He says, except, of course, it's been done before in test 35, game one, question four. (laughs) Okay, so apparently the Internet was blowing up about that question. Really, you're not supposed to talk about actual LSAT questions uh, after the test. But, you know, Reddit and whatever goes crazy after every test anyway. Actually, that's pretty generic wording. I don't know. I don't find anything that doesn't seem new or interesting to me at all. I mean, they're saying which one has to be true, but doesn't necessarily have to be true. Which, which one, one could be, be true. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Which one must be true, but could be false. I mean, I don't know. That's not that like, even if it is new, it's just not that challenging. But just to clarify, you're saying what must be true, but it's asking for what could be true, but doesn't have to be. true. Oh, sorry. Which one could be and true? Therefore, okay, so. can't be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't must be true. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So can be sorry. Could be true, but also could be false. Yes. It, it must meet those requirements. Yep. Yeah. It's okay. not it's not crazy. It's it, it's similar to questions that say which one of these is, you know, neither necessary nor sufficient or sufficient, yep. but not necessary or necessary, but not sufficient. Which one could be true, but doesn't have to be true. Which one could be true and could be false. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it does exist uh, f- 50 tests ago, 50, <laughs> almost 60 tests ago. Uh, it does actually exist. And it, once again, there's nothing new. I mean, Ben, we've been doing this for so long now that like every time somebody says, oh, wait till you see this new thing that just happened on the test. 
we both kind of go mm, really because it did it prob- yeah probably been done okay cool um this next one is an email from anonymous the uh, subject says suffering from success I've been studying for the LSAT for five months now with the demon and I've taken six practice tests. My diagnostic was a 156. That's really good. The next five tests, I scored a 159, 164, 164, 166, and then yesterday a 177. Wow, Yahtzee. This last score seems like a fluke, but does anyone score a 177 from luck? I'm curious to hear y'all's expert opinion on my situation and whether you've seen this kind of increase ever prove sustainable. Some motivation to keep going for when my score inevitably drops would be nice too. parentheses. I say inevitably, but I don't really believe that. The questions I missed on the 177 test were easy, but do I really have the swagger yet to call the test easy since I was a mid-160s scorer until yesterday? I'll let you go first, Ben. Scores are going to fluctuate. They're going to fluctuate up and down. So it would be shocking to me if your score didn't drop from 177. But there's also there also has to be some inherent improvement here. <laughs> uh, they don't usually swing 11 points, especially up. So you've made progress. You've definitely made progress. And for all we know, the 166 was at the low end of your range. In fact, that's probably exactly what was happening. So, yeah. So the thing that I would say about this is that you're you're maybe just think about it in terms of you have a range. And so 177 is now in your range. 177, you know, might've been in your range. I mean, it obviously was in your range on the day that you took that test. So it might've been in your range the day before or the day before that, or the week before that you are improving over time, which is great. You've been studying, so you're going to improve, you know, you're doing the work, so you're going to improve. So you've improved and you've also had a good day. Is that guaranteed you're going to score 177 again the very next day? Of course not. Uh, Like, like Ben said, I would bet that you're going to probably go down at some point. It'd be shocking if they didn't, right, Ben? Yeah. But that's just because everyone has a range of tests. You don't have a a specific score and that you always score at that score. That's almost impossible to (laughs) achieve, actually. Well, this question of, you know, the last score seems like a fluke, but does anybody score a 177 from luck? My answer is both yes and no. Like every single 177 that has ever existed is partially luck. But my answer is also no, because you did the work to get that 177 up into your range. Absolutely. A portion of that 177 is luck, but that proportion is small, right? It can't be 100%. I mean, I guess it could be. I guess you could take people who are never going to score that score. And if you had thousands of them taking it, somebody would get a 177. But boy, it would take a lot of luck. So... The vast majority of this is from your understanding of the test. Right. And you should have some swagger like 177 is in your range. That's amazing. Yep. And but, you know, 167 very likely is also still in your range. And maybe even a wider range than that. But you've like your work is paying off and you've realized that the test is actually easy. Hey, 
one other thing here I want to say about swagger is that true swagger doesn't depend on your scores. Like if this person takes the test again and their score drops, you have true swagger when you say, no worries. Learn from your mistakes. Take another test when you're ready. You're not swinging up and down with the, your scores. Yeah. You're just saying, okay, I understand this test. Some things happen. Let me learn from those mistakes and continue to refine until my scores are higher. Yeah, a single 177 doesn't make you a 177 scorer in, you know, in the sense that you've you've got it now and you're just going to totally kill it every time from here on out. Uh, nor does a 157 indicate that you don't got it. I mean, both of those numbers, if they appear, indicate that that number is within your range. But yeah, this is clearly at the top of Anonymous's range right now and uh, keep moving in the direction of just understanding. I mean, you say that the the ones you missed were easy. That could be a great sign. I mean, if that means that you have thoroughly reviewed them and you really understand that, oh, wow. I mean, even the ones that I missed, I just made some kind of casual mistake on those. I can clean that up easily. Seems like the swagger is pretty deserved. But yeah, don't be so attached to the results of any one test. Yeah. All right. Um, you want to read this uh, next one here from AD? Yeah. I'm a third grade, sorry, third year undergrad and just started using the demon this month. I have some questions regard, regarding letters of recommendation. I worked at a small firm as an assistant earlier this year. I had a great time there and my employer made it clear that he'd be happy to write me a letter of recommendation. However, I won't be applying to law school until at least the 2024 cycle. My questions are, semicolon, that's incorrect by the way. Uh, should I ask my employer to write the letter as soon as possible so that his good impression of me stays fresh? If I decide to ask him now, do I need to send him the request for the letter through LSAC? If he submits his letter through LSAC as one of my recommenders, how long does LSAC keep this record? Will his letter be saved as part of my application regardless of when I actually apply for law school? Thank you very much. First of all, don't stress about this too much. You're applying within a reasonable time. I wouldn't worry about any of this. Get it done and let it stay on file. Yeah, it's going to stay on file. You're fine. It would be real easy to update it if you ever did have to update it, but there's no reason not to do it now. They know you and you're in, you know, recently in school or sorry, it's a recent recommendation from an employer that you may or may not have three years from now if you do apply then. So, yeah, get, get it on record. One thing people don't understand, we've been getting a lot of these questions lately. One thing that they don't catch quite is that you are going to submit the letters later. So you're going to get the letters uploaded to your account, but they're not actually going to any school right now. Later, you're going to pick which letters go to which schools. So you can actually just get multiple letters of recommendation and then down the road, look at the applications and decide which applications you're going to go or which uh, letters you're going to send where. For most people, it'll just be the same two letters. But, you know, some schools you might need three. And for whatever reason, you might want to start to collect more of them, uh, especially when sometimes people drag their feet right on doing these letters. Absolutely. And then you find out who really wants to write you a letter. Go ahead. Yeah. And I was, you had this idea, you just said it, but I think it's a good one. 
if you get this letter now and then later want to update it for whatever reason, that's going to be easier for this person to update it than it is to write a new letter. So let's, let's get this in the bag. Let's seal the deal. And then if you want to make it even better, not that it's going to make a huge difference, you can, and it won't be that hard. Yeah. But if you, if you can't, cause you've moved on or whatever, well, thank thankfully, thankfully you already have the letter. So. Yeah. Get it on file. It's one of the little things that you can do well in advance of your law school applications. There's no reason not to just get them, uh, especially it's be, you're being efficient. You know, it's like, yeah, it seems like they're hot to do it right now. So go ahead and have them do it. Uh, next email is from Audrey. It says accommodations, 10 point increase on ninth day of prep. Message says, I took a cold diagnostic with 35 minute sections through con and scored a 155. I received ADHD and autism diagnoses after that. After struggling to set study goals, I found the demon and loved that I didn't need to choose sections. I also changed my mindset by realizing it wasn't that I didn't have the time. It was that I was making excuses instead of time for the LSAT. I decided to make the LSAT a priority and started studying on October 27th. On November 4th, I took a PT with 53-minute sections due to my recently approved accommodations using my Demon Free account and scored a 165. I signed up for Demon Basic using my fee waiver. Now the 170s feel truly attainable! Exclamation point. Thanks for taking the analysis paralysis out of LSAT prep. LSAT Demon was the best prep to find for my neurodivergent brain. Thanks for making accessible and straightforward no bull LSAT prep. You're helping turn dreams into reality. Accommodated low income students out there, please know there is hope. You can do this. Again, that's coming from Audrey. Thank you, Audrey. That was nice. Yeah. So she got uh, four months of basic, right? For 30 bucks. That's the deal. Yeah. The $30 that we have to turn around and pay to the LSAC, um, we make $0 off of that uh, four months of basic program. And we have had lots of people make really good success with it. So go to LSATdemon.com, sign up for a free account first, and then, yeah, you can upgrade. Um, probably the way to do it is just email help at LSATdemon.com. They'll get back to you uh, with whatever documentation they need in order to sign you up for the radically discounted plan that Audrey has signed up for. Yeah. Awesome. Um, that improvement right there seems to be very, very likely like it's a, what, what was it again? It's a 10 point bump in yep. nine days. Yeah. I mean, the difference between accommodated and not accommodated is huge. So Audrey, you've got the diagnoses, you got the accommodations, you immediately are having a much better time on the test. Um, sounds like, you did the right thing by getting accommodated. Uh, oh, <laughs> this next one. Just check out this email that I got from uh, from Leo Martinez, 78 from UC Hastings. OK, dear Nathan, I'm immensely proud of UC Hastings and the time I've spent here. The value of my education has vastly surpassed the investment I made and has been an incredible gift. OK. We don't know what you paid for school, but anyways. Seven graduated in 78. We could look it up, but I mean, pretty sure the Wayback Machine is going to say it, it was like 
$2,500 or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is also unfortunately true is that the cost of education for our students is now significantly greater than, it, than when I was a student. Maybe. Keep going. As a result, many of our recent graduates have a large amount of debt going into their careers. Bold. This next sentence is in bold. This level of indebtedness is now a factor in U.S. News and World Report's annual ranking of schools, of law schools. Wow. I'm actually impressed that they decided to add this. Although Good job, U.S. Much, News. Yeah, because that's a that's a factor, right? Uh, maybe they're only giving it 1%, but well, something. yeah. And I mean, the irony <laughs> is that immediately it would drive up demand for that school. So it's like not <laughs> it, it allows them like, you know, they get pricing power from the boost in ranking. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah. Nathan, anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm asking you today to join me in helping our students to feel that value that the value of their education is worth the cost. Hold up. There's a lot I hate about this sentence. Maybe it's because we teach the LSAT, but I'm asking you today to join me in helping our students to feel. Yeah. To feel that the value of their education is worth the cost. Uh -huh. How about making it actually worth the value of the cost? <laughs> <laughs> he could have said that. I mean, he, he because... That's what he's asking me to do, essentially, right? He's asking, yeah. you can read the next sentence. Okay, so this is bolded and underlined. Your gift yeah. today not only helps our current students, but also helps ensure the legacy of the college. Thank you for your consideration and your commitment to UC Hastings, which, by the way, they don't know your commitment is. <laughs> it's just zero. <laughs> I mean, I got friends from Hastings, like, I, you know, I, but I, yeah, the, the odds of me donating anything, why, why again? Wait, so that I can help his current students to feel that the value of the education is worth the cost. Like, in other words, you're telling me that they don't currently think that the value of the education <laughs> is worth the cost without my gift. I I don't know. I, I mean, it's just I, I can't imagine the kind of like ego stroking that that I would you know need in order to make this look like an appealing opportunity mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't I don't know I, I would feel so I would feel terribly about it it's like well essentially I mean we just they're not addressing the ex why the costs exploded you know it's just as a result many of our recent graduates have a large amount of debt going into their careers and it's That's like their fault <laughs> yeah. and they're asking someone else to solve the problem. It's so it's so bizarre. And think about the astronomical sum you could give. You could give what is the cost of Hastings per year right now? Let's say 50. I'm sure it's more. 50. Yeah. OK, so a hundred you could give one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you would help one soul go for free. I don't know how else you avoid indebtedness. I mean, people aren't usually working and paying for school. I just looked it up. It's uh 50,728 for non-resident, or at least that was 2021. 44,728 oh, okay. for residents. It's a whopping wow. 6,000 cheaper if you're a California <laughs> resident. <laughs> that is not much cheaper. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> anyway, thought you'd get a chuckle. You want to read this one from uh, Sarah? Sure. 
Hello, I just watched Nathan's class on, quote, last minute tips for the November LSAT this weekend, but the advice was mostly geared toward our first, sorry, toward first time or second time test takers. For example, he advised to not assume that this test will be your last and that you will be done with your LSAT studying afterward, because that would mean you're treating the test as something different than a normal practice test. I think that this is great advice but this is going to be my fifth attempt. So whatever the outcome, it will be the end of LSAT studying. I'm wondering if there's any advice specifically geared towards students like me. I do feel like I'm ready to take the test and I feel confident in my improvement. I've taken more than 10 practice tests in the last six weeks, reviewed them thoroughly, and my score has improved almost every time, starting with a 170 at the beginning of October. And my last four were a 177, 177, 177, and 175 today. Nice. Yeah, solid. My highest score on record is a 165, though. I haven't scored at all in the 160s this month. And my average scores among my timed sections have kept me in the 170s as well. Is it wrong to think that my range has moved up to 170 to 175? Or is this not enough data to tell? I think you're doing pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty pretty good. I, and I don't know why you think your range is 170 to 175. It One sounds of those like it's... numbers is in a 170 is 175. You've got three 177s in a row. How's that not part of your range? Yeah, your range needs to, by definition, include 177, even if you just score it once. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the hilarious thing. It's like, well, the range is what the range is. If those are your last five tests, then your range is 170 to 177. Yep. Hmm. Regardless, if there is any advice for fifth time test takers, I would I would be super appreciative, Sarah. I think it's good to remind yourself that there's always a higher court. I mean, they they do have an appeals process is what I'm saying. And yep. so, you know, it's sure. not like you're necessarily going to get locked out of a sixth attempt. Other than that, I think you should just. I mean, and because of that, I think you should treat it like it's just another practice test. I don't think you're going to get any benefit from like dwelling on or even being conscious of really the idea that it might be your last test. That's that's not the point, right? The point is one question at a time and just solve it. Yep. With all of your amazing practice test scores on record, you know what it feels like to solve the questions. Yeah. So do that. We would put lots of money on you to get over 165 and even over 170. You're going to do yeah. great. And I'm pretty sure if it's the same Sarah, I talked to her at the uh, after party and she thought that she had done pretty well. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Sounds like that one went well. And uh, sorry, we couldn't get that advice to you in time, Sarah. But uh, other last time or fifth attempt test takers might benefit. So thanks. Sure. Yep. Uh, OK, so G says. Hi, friends. Thought you'd be amused to see this undisclosed email as it sounds like some of the other undisclosed unsolicited. Sorry. What did I say? Undisclosed? Yeah. Oh, secret secret email. It's, it's very disclosed <laughs> now. Um, hi, friends. Thought you'd be amused to see this unsolicited email as it sounds like some of the other random ones that have been sent to fellow demon students in their LSAT prep. This is on the heels of a 167 that I wasn't happy about, but I'm hoping to land myself closer to the middle or high end of my range in a few days on the November test. Admittedly, the part that made me raise my eyebrows in semi-intrigue wasn't the scholarship amounts, but a law degree in two and a half years. Enjoy the content. Best G. 
So this was a an email from Elon University Schools. Sorry, Elon University School of Law. I think we talked about it recently, didn't we, Ben? Their uh, their two and a half year program. I thought it had come up. Maybe I'm just I don't remembering. Remember. Okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe okay. I'm just remembering from when I put this on the agenda ten days ago. But uh, so this yeah, is Greensboro, North Carolina. Greensboro, North Carolina. We invite you to learn more about Elon University's School of Sorry, Elon University School of Laws groundbreaking approach to legal education space <laughs> period oh i know exactly what happened here too they created that link and when they created the link the link added that space this happens yep. in a lot of things but no one caught that yeah we are excited to see our applications and enrollment up by 30 percent over the past few years at elon law you will benefit from elon's highly experiential approach which includes a guaranteed full-time residency and practice and several clinics in areas such as immigration law, business, and advocacy. Guaranteed full-time residency and practice sounds like it could be good, huh? Yeah, like guaranteed. You're going to get on your hands-on experience. You're actually going to go work for a law firm. Wow. You're going to pay them money to go work for a law firm. But I mean, that's better <laughs> legal education than what they get, what you get at just a normal law, I yeah. mean, any law school. Okay. Yeah. Based on your academic profile, we believe you to have the potential to excel at Elon Law. Bold. We are pleased to note, to notify you that an applicant with your academic profile can potentially receive a total program scholarship up to $75,000 to 122500 <laughs> Why didn't they just say up to 122,500? It's a total program scholarship <laughs> up to 75 to 122,000. Okay. When applied to Elon Law's total program tuition, your scholarship award will substantially lower the financial investment required to earn your law degree. At almost 90%, Elon Law offers one of the nation's highest scholarship retention rates. That's good to know. They're yep. not they're not doing a lot of these um, you know, pull the rug out from under you. Gotcha. Yeah. In addition, your tuition is guaranteed not to increase over your time here. Wow. That's a promise that uh, no other school I, or that I've heard of is making. Yep. Elon law is accepting, uh, sorry, is now accepting applications for fall of 2023 through July 15. However, bold, we encourage you to apply as soon as possible for maximum scholarship consideration. <laughs> That's coming Thanks, to Alan. us from Alan at uh, Elon University School of Law. Yeah. Any thoughts about uh, about that? Oh, wait, where's the discussion of the 2.5 years? It's in the subject line. Did I miss something? That's in the subject. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your Elon Law scholarship and law degree in 2.5 years. But then the email itself doesn't actually say anything about the 2.5 year part. Eh, unless I don't know. It's I guess it's possible that G edited that out. I mean, there's also a big like, did you see this paragraph break? I didn't add that. Yeah. I mean, yep. that, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a weird email. OK, hmm. there you go. If you're interested in going to Greensboro, you could maybe work for a law firm and get a scholarship. You want to read this one from Pat? Yeah, Pat says, thank you. Wait, is that how it you're starts? <laughs> yeah, anytime, Pat. You got it. Um, I began preparing for the LSAT about one year ago. I found your podcast and fell in love with the studying process. When I made it through all of the free content, I signed up for a membership. 
Smart drilling, the ask button, the sheer number of questions available made my brain feel like a kid in a candy shop. Wow. I am a mid-career accountant, entrepreneur, and elected official with a master's degree in policy. It was exciting to imagine myself eventually submitting a strong application. I studied hard, but I also heeded the rest of your advice. I interviewed lawyers in my area of interest. I projected my income and expenses as best I could through law school and beyond. I considered the impact law school could have on my, on my, upon my life and upon that of my young family. I'm a father of two. Your, your podcast and your warnings about law school helped me to avoid, helped me avoid stepping onto an expensive and time-consuming path. I realized that while I enjoyed studying for the LSAT, I was italicized, it didn't mean that I would enjoy law school or for that matter, the practice of law. And moreover, I can just hear you cringing at the word moreover. I realized that I didn't need a JD to be the kind of person I want to be. I don't hate moreover, <laughs> do you? Uh, yeah, you don't need it. And just say, and I realized. Just okay. like and, and. <laughs> I don't hate it, but yeah, it's not necessary. You could say moreover instead of and. Yeah, but even then I'd say it's long, so then use and. Or All also. Right. I am now making my way along another path, one that feels much more natural and far more affordable. I, I will tell you what I am cringing at, uh, Pat. You you use uh, parentheses around all these side comments. Like this whole thing is filled with, oh, let me add in a little another layer yeah, of insight. Yeah, he more, put moreover again in the parentheses after the moreover. But, you yeah. know, he's being chatty. He's being chatty. But... Yet another parentheses. Um, my goals remain the same. I'm just not forcing myself to get a JD before I start pursuing them. Thanks for the incredible asset you've created. You've made studying for the LSAT fun and effective, but you've also helped at least one person figure out that their path lay elsewhere. More than one, I will tell you that. There are a lot of people who have written in and said, hey, law is not for me. And we say, great. Yeah, it's another soul saved by the demon. Yeah. Yep. We're happy to help, Pat. That sounds great. Amina writes in with a subject that says one LG section per day, question mark. My answer to that is yes. Sounds like a great idea. Dear Ben and Nathan, I first want to start by saying how much I love the LSAT demon exclamation point. I used other prep test programs and never understood what I was doing. I can safely say that the test is starting to make sense. I just finished the November LSAT and felt like I crushed the LR and RC. Reading the passage first and treating all RC questions like must be trues helped me the most. Sadly, I totally froze and bombed the LG section, mainly because I don't think I prepared enough. I only have myself to blame for that. I think I need to expose myself to more games and understand those games. I want to know if doing one logic game section a day until January and or until I'm consistently at minus zero, would that be a good idea? Please let me know. Thanks for everything. Kind regards, Amina. Go for it. I have no problem with one section a day, but I also have no problem with doing one section and then drilling um, games or, you know, alternating back and forth. You have to kind of decide uh, what works the best for you. If doing a whole section is not something you can do someday, don't get all caught up on, well, I do LG sections, just drill. 
Also, don't hyper-focus on games and forget about logical reasoning and reading comp. You said you crushed them, so I doubt you need to do much to prepare for them, but crushed can be subjective. Like maybe you're still getting some questions wrong. Even if you got minus zero on both of those, I would drill LR and RC every now and then to stay in touch with them. Yeah, for sure. I think you got to do a little bit of every section every week. But if games is your weakest section, then, yeah, you should do more of that. Maybe 50, 60, 70 percent of your time should be spent on games. Games is the section that people go from really shitty to totally perfect every time on. Yep. And you haven't gotten there yet, which is a bummer because, I mean, just think about and, and I think it actually does been some of these like, you know, explosive improvements that we've seen lately, the, the 20, 25, 30 point improvers. Yeah. Those people pretty consistently made not only major improvements to their games, but they got to the point where games was going to be perfect for them. And the thing I want to maybe suggest is that if you do perfect your games and know that you can count on the games being perfect, it can actually help you like be in a better headspace when you're doing the logical reasoning and the reading comprehension. I was just going to say that actually, um, it absolutely does. For one, as you're saying, you're confident that you're going to do well in that section, but also the mental drain drops significantly, right? Now it becomes easy. Games of all the sections is the least mentally taxing if you can, if you know how to do it. It's the most mentally taxing if you don't know how to do it. Yeah. Then you're just like, oh, and it's just this drain. But it, when it becomes easy, it becomes really easy because there's not as much to read by any means. And there's not any debating. The answers are right or wrong. <laughs> That's true for the rest of the test, too. But there can be more words to parse through, right? And so maybe a little more subjectivity or what's a reasonable assumption or whatever. You don't have any of that in the games. So it can be a huge break for you, a 35-minute break that you then use to crush the other sections. Yeah, it's in thirds. It reminds me of hockey. It's like if you knew that you were going to just crush your opponent in one of the three periods. We actually don't know which period it is because uh, the games are going to appear randomly on the test. Sure. Uh, first section, third, second section, third section, whatever. But you're going to have it for one of those three um, or four, I guess, with the experimental section. Point is, if you knew that on one third of a game in one of the periods, if you knew that you were going to like shut out the other side <laughs> yeah. if you knew that you were going to just like oh well we were three three to nothing during that period yeah you go into those other periods knowing that you you know you you're pretty badass and you're probably going to win yeah so uh, i think that's the first hockey analogy on the uh thinking outside podcast there you go next one from uh anonymous Hello, Ben and Nathan. I'm a student in Canada and I began studying for the LSAT in May after the academic semester finished. I began with a diagnostic score of 159. That's incredible, by the way. Good job. I used the LSAT trainer for the first month or two and found that it didn't yield any significant improvement. After finding the Thinking LSAT podcast and the Demon, I improved significantly with logic games now being my strongest section to the point where I find it fun to practice. Okay, that's literally what we were just talking about. That is not a mental drain. That's a mental boost, right? Yeah. I took the LS I took the September LSAT and got a score of 171, which is right in the middle of my score range. 
I fucked up in my earlier years of undergrad and have a lower GPA. I've improved in that regard and I just wanted to thank you guys for helping me achieve my score and giving me the best chance at going to law school. Cool. Congrats. Take it again. If you have a fucked up GPA, a few more points could make a big difference. Maybe you're done. Maybe you're applying. But, well, Canada. Thoughts about that? Some of the schools that you're applying to might average your scores. Um, so that just makes it harder to change that 171 for good or for bad. Yeah, that's it's true. It's in the middle of your score range. So if you score lower than that at the schools that average, you're actually going to be lowering the number that they're going to use. Uh, but if you score above it, you're going to be raising the number that they use in Canada be, or sorry, if you are applying to schools that average your score, which just doesn't yeah. happen really in the U.S. If if that's you, then you got to be even more careful about your first official attempt, because that first official attempt is going to count forever. Yeah. And uh 171 is great. It's right in the middle of your range. Good score. I would look into that school specifically and figure out what it's going to really take. I mean, if you're if you were going in the U.S., I'd be like, well, shitty GPA 171. Start looking at some of the schools that you're targeting. I guess I would go to that law school data, those charts to see where they're. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe we don't even need to go to law school data, actually, just like. What's your median? Because I know that your median is going to be like hugely important at this school. Yeah. Canada schools could be completely different, though. Yep. So I don't really know. This next one, I think it might have come into the LSAT Demon Daily, but um, we've got a bunch over there in the queue. So I just wanted to knock out this one on uh, this show. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan, long time, long time listener, first time reaching out. Just wanted to say how awesome your podcast is. I listen to it almost every day. I have a question about applying to law school with a prestigious master's degree. I'm currently pursuing a master's at Oxford in the UK, and I'm applying this cycle. I graduated from a lower top 100 university in the States for undergrad with a 4.0 GPA. My grades at Oxford are good, but nothing spectacular. Does the fact that I'm doing this master's additionally help me in admissions? Or do law schools not give a crap about graduate degrees, even if it is from Oxford. What do you think, Ben? It's going to help you when your numbers are the same as somebody else. That's it. Yeah, I think it's I, I, I agree. I mean, from what I've seen of this admissions game, the applications are not nearly as holistic as they might put on. I think your GPA matters not at all. The name Oxford matters more, I think. Than yes, GPA. yes. You got in there. They're impressed by that. It's, it's the type that they of shit. Look yeah, I mean, to. I remember yeah. like at, at Hastings, they gave us a, a a paper of, hey, here's all of the undergraduate institutions and here's all of the graduate degrees that you guys have. Mm. And so, you know, you're going to then give them the permission to put Oxford on that thing. What how yeah. much do they value that? I don't I don't know. Not as much as one more else at point, though. Yeah, I think it's a soft factor that's positive, but all soft factors are contingent on your numbers, which is your LSAT score and your GPA. Yeah. Anything else there? No. Let's do another just a short one here. Okay. 
sorry for people who sent it into the other show and got your answer here, but doing the best we can here. This one uh, is from Amanda. Why don't you read it? Yeah. Hey guys, my question for you, semicolon, how do law schools view a withdrawn semester? I finished my liberal arts bachelor's degree with a decent GPA. After three years, I went back to school to get another degree, second bachelor's in engineering. I realized, however, that it wasn't for me, so I withdrew from the semester and did not go back. Assuming my LSAT is above a 170 and my completed undergraduate GPA is good. By the way, what do you mean by good? How worried should I be about getting accepted? T14 to T65 schools? 65, I've never heard that cut off. No. My take is that as long as I explain why I withdrew in the addendum, it shouldn't be anything to worry about. Um, it doesn't seem like this withdrawal would affect your GPA at all, right? As long as it doesn't affect your GPA because you withdrew, uh, I can't, I can't see it mattering. The T65, Ben, right now there's a, I mean, you could have actually said 64 because what I'm seeing for last year's U.S. News rankings, we got Penn State University at 64. University of Connecticut Law at 64 and San Diego Law School at 64. So it's not only T65, it's actually T64. <laughs> you want to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just matters not really. It's at all. Yeah. Every, the, the schools are going to vary school by school by school. And like when you're talking about T14, that is different from T64. Like those are yep. two. That's completely different. I mean, People don't even know that there is a University of Connecticut law or a San Diego law school. I mean, you do if you live close to there, but if you don't live close to there, you don't know that there's a Penn State University University Park, which, yep. you know, so and on the other hand, um, almost every applicant is going to be able to say, I've heard of Georgetown before. Yep. Which that's T14. So that's a very wide range. I mean. Which is great. Applying to a wide range of schools is awesome. As far as the semester thing goes, we just came out of COVID. I can't imagine that anybody's going to ever give a shit about breaks in your academic record anytime between 2020 and 2023, really. Like if because then it would be a red flag on all of the applications of anybody who went to school in that time. If they ask you about it specifically, you write a very short explanation. You know, starting yep. that degree and then not and then not following through on it. If it doesn't affect your GPA, yeah, I think they probably don't care. But they might look at that and go, mm, false start in engineering. If they really want to know. False start in law, right? Yeah. And what I would tell them is, I mean, how would you explain that, Ben, if, the, if you actually did have to explain it? If it's a required question on an application and you want to explain or if, you know, if it's clear that they really want to know. Boy, I would just stick to the facts. Well, let me take a shot at it. Go for it. I realized that law school is actually the right thing for me. And so I decided to go that direction instead. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, that's the best positive spin. <laughs> right. You don't, you're not yeah. going to shit on you, you. I don't like I saying, oh, that wasn't for me. Don't say that wasn't for me. I mean, your story should be, it was for you. You totally killed there. You loved it. It was awesome. But law school is even better than that. You figured yep. out that you want to do this other this other thing. That's that's your story. Yep. That's we good. hear a lot of stories where it's like 
you know, people because people want to do that on GPA addendums, right? They want to write like, well, medical school just, re- you know, or sorry, a pre-med, you know, it was really not for me. Okay. Yeah. I would never say it that way. I, why don't you just spin it as when I found my true calling in political science, I had a 4.0 for the last five semesters of my undergrad. I mean, that's always a better story to tell. Sure. All right. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, everybody else for writing in. You can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you should email help at lsatdemon.com. Check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 377 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.